The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to A Guided Life Podcast, where we talk about all things spirit and life. I'm your host, Laura West. Follow me on Facebook at GuidedWest11, on Instagram at GuidedWest, and on Twitter at LauraWest111. I also have a website at www.laurawest.net, where you can download a free guide on how to meet your own spirit guides. My book, Guided, is available on Amazon, and it's about soul teams, intuition, mediumship, and spiritual tools such as oracle and tarot cards, crystals, pendulums, and so much more. My guest today is Fire Chaplain Ralph Haynes. Ralph currently serves as a fire chaplain for the Chula Vista Fire Department. He's a Navy vet and an author. And after 36 years and 10 months, he retired from the San Diego Fire Department as a fire captain. Hello, Ralph. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Oh, I'm just... So excited. You're my first fire family interview, I believe. <laughs> and I say that because for those who don't know, my husband is a firefighter. He at one point got to work with you, Ralph, and speaks very highly of you. So I'm just so honored to be able to sit here with you today. I gave him money. so he, <laughs> he sure I did too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I trained Charlie when he came on the job. And then we worked together at Station 17. So there's a good vibe there with he and I. Oh, yeah, I love it. And I'm just, again, so thrilled that we get to have this conversation because since retiring, you have written a book called The Book of Miracles. And it's perfect to speak about for this show. So if you wouldn't mind, let's dive in and hear from you as to what inspired you to even write this book to begin with. Sure. I owed all the credit to the Lord. The Lord had me write the book and well, he told me to write it years ago. And it took me a while to get around to a very busy man, the academy, working at the busiest station in the city, pastor in a church, going to the prisons, preaching. I was pretty busy. But then after I retired, he says, hey, I need you to write that book still. (laughs) Not in that particular language, but hey, I, I still want you to write this. So I already had the outline and everything, so I just started writing, and I got it written, and then I got to the point where I didn't know what to do next, and so I was praying and asking the Lord what I should do on how I get it published, or I just didn't know what to do. I'd never written a book before, and I'm on my computer one day, and this guy's face pops up, and he's a publisher, and I look into it, just research it and everything, and it turns out that the guy's legit. He lives in Canada, and Next thing I know, 1010 Publishing 
they got me dialed in and here it is right here. Yeah. I mean, what a fantastic story of inspiration. I'm curious to know, how did you know that you were meant to write this book? What did that feel like or look like, I guess, intuitively for you? Lord, I got a really close personal relationship with the Lord and he tells me stuff. I'm one of those guys that he talks to. And I don't want to get too preachy on here. And if I do, just let me know, you know, but I'm a (laughs) pastor. I am a preacher. I've been one since I was three years old. I was a boy preacher. In the scriptures, it says that he who knows God, hears God's words. And so I know him personally. In fact, he's, if you read the book, he's pulled me out of a lot of dangerous situations and done a lot of things for me. He's told me things that only he could tell me, only he could know about, hence the subtitle of the book, Things That Only God Could Have Done. And so that's how uh, I know for sure when he tells me something, I know it's him. I know his voice. Oh, yeah. When you know, you know when you're getting that guidance and that direction from the wonderful spirit on the other side. So there are a lot of great stories in this book. And I want to say that it's an easy read, but it doesn't mean that the different stories were easy for you to go through. In fact, very inspirational and a lot of things that Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure in retrospect and in hindsight was like, okay, glad I made it through that. And now I can see why I made it through that. But would you mind maybe sharing some of your, mm, I hate to use the word favorite because it's hard things that you went through in this book. Let me backtrack, actually. Would you mind sharing what the book is about? And we'll start there. Okay. The book is about my life as a firefighter. In fact, I'm already writing the second part of the book because the publisher only wanted the book to be like 160 pages. And I had like double that amount. So I'm already writing the second book of miracles. But I just started writing about my life, about the different things that had happened to me during my life. And then I really didn't have a title or anything like that. I just wrote about my life and particular things that happened to me that are supernatural events. It's the only way you can talk about them and explain them. And so, again, the things that only God could have done, those are the things that I have in this book. Like we saw in the Far Family, Laura, you can't make this up. You know, you can't make these things up. Everybody that reads the book, they love it. I'm putting it in all the fire stations free of charge. You know, your husband brought one home to show it to you. The firefighters are being really encouraged by it. And so, it inspired me to just to write another one, put the rest of the story together. It's going to be a really good one. Not the sequel, but just more. People call them stories. I call them memories. I like that. Because they're <laughs> things that yeah, yeah. you just can't unsee. You know, you probably heard your husband say about that, you know, but those are the kind of things in here that are in here. And just all the things that Jesus did. That's one of the things that I really love about the book is that, You know, in the Bible, it says that the things that Jesus did, we're also able to do and greater. And so this book, you can pick out things in the book and go right to the Bible and say, hey, that happened to Jesus. Jesus did that. Jesus raised a guy from the dead. Jesus opened blinded eyes, people that couldn't hear and and that kind of thing. So I'm excited about it. So I want to say from the perspective of a fire wife reading some of these stories, memories that you had gone through while in the service, it gives me this different perspective for what my husband 
does when he goes to work too, and some of those intense calls that he may get. So I would say even from a wife's perspective, this has been really helpful, eye-opening and helping to really get a better perspective of what my husband goes through when he goes to work. That's great to hear, Laura. I'll be sure and tell Rennie that. <laughs> I've never thought about it, looking at it from you, because you're a firewoman, yeah. and you're the one that's at home supporting us when we're there doing the job. Yeah. I didn't think about that point of view, because in the book, boy, she <laughs> she prayed me out of a station, you know, she prayed and asked God to get me out. Like you, my wife, she's connected to the other side, oh, as yeah. we call it sometimes. She has a really close personal relationship with God, and God hears her prayers and answers them. Sometimes I wouldn't like that, but (laughs) you know how that is. But there's one particular story. Let me just share this real quick. Please. I was at a fire, and I was working at Station 32. I don't know if you know what 32 is. It's on the edge of San Diego. They call it the edge. Okay. (laughs) It borders National City. It borders Bonita. It's it's in the south. Oh, down there. Okay. I was at that station over there. Got it. No, no, I was working. The fire was in that area. That's what I should say. The fire was in that area. But I was working at station 12. Oh, got it. So okay. Go there and we're putting this fire out and everything. And then all of a sudden, we're done with the fire, but the back porch is like hanging at an angle. And so we're beating on the thing, trying to get it to fall so that if, when the people come back to their mm-hmm. house, the thing won't accidentally fall on them. So long story short, this thing falls on my shoulder and just scrams me in the ground and just holds yeah. me down. I don't know what the thing weighed. You know, it weighed thousands of pounds. Sure. And so all the firefighters picked the thing up off of me. And then my best friend pulled me out from under it. In fact, when it started falling, my friend, he grabbed me and pulled me enough that it didn't hit me in the head, but it just hit me on my shoulder and just drove me into the ground and pinned me. I couldn't move. And so they picked the thing up off of me, pulled me out, called the ambulance. The ambulance come and got me and take, took me to the hospital. This is like three in the morning. I'm okay. All the x-rays and everything, everything's fine. Wow. But they said, you, can't, you don't go back to work tonight, Ralph. You just go on home. So I said, <laughs> okay. By the way, I've never spent a night in a hospital my whole career. Thank goodness. I've been there a lot of times, <laughs> but I never spent a night. And so I called my wife and I said, hey, this was my words. I said, hey, guess where I am? And it's like three in the morning, Laura. She goes, you're probably in the hospital or something. And I go, no. <laughs> Thank goodness you she goes, were the one to tell sleep. her. I've been up praying for you all night. You know, I knew something was going on with you. And so Aww. she came and got me, called my in-laws to come and watch the kids while she yeah. drove down to the hospital, picked me up, came out. Yeah, that's kind of a call that no family member ever wants to receive. But luckily, it was from you and not the chief. Thank God it wasn't the fire chaplain <laughs> yeah. calling her, you know. We wouldn't be having no, this No, we wouldn't. Oh, my goodness. But I had a lot of close calls like that. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit, Ralph? I know you mentioned it in the book, but can you tell the listeners a little bit about your upbringing? Sure. I was born and raised in Texas. I had uh, great parents and two great sets of grandparents. They basically took me to church and gave me my spiritual training and everything. My my uh, grandparents, both sets. My mom and dad, they didn't really go to church. They considered themselves Christians, but they didn't really go to church. They were just chilling out. But later on in their lives, and there's a story in the book about how my dad became a Christian. He died. He had a heart attack and a stroke in the back of an ambulance. And my sister called me. That's in the book. It's in chapter 10. And God raised him from the dead. 
He lived 13 more years wow. and lived his life serving the Lord. I grew up with my grandparents taking me to church and doing church stuff. I was a boy preacher. I was the guy that stood by and would read. Most of the people in our church, they couldn't read. They were older people. And so I would read. And then the pastor standing in the pulpit would explain the word, you know, what I just read from the Bible. And then I would, Lord, I would go home and preach it to my dog. Mm -hmm. What I learned in church, I'd go home, preach it to my mom and dad, and, you know, tell them everything that I learned in church. So I've been preaching since I was like six years old or something <laughs> like that. I was a boy preacher. <laughs> nice, nice. But that was kind of upbringing that I had right there. Got it. And what inspired you to become a firefighter? That's in the book. There's going to be a lot of spoiler alerts here if you don't mind. <laughs> you I don't, don't mind. mind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind at all. There's also a lot that we're not going to talk about, so people should still get the book. Right. <laughs> you know, I had one of those moments I think I was about three or four. It's in the book, the whole thing. But we had a fire in our home. And it was the first fire that I've ever experienced. And my dad was actually the first firefighter that I knew. But at the time, I didn't know he was a firefighter, but he had to because we had the volunteers. So we have this fire in our house. My dad rescues all of us out of the house, gets everybody out of the house, gets all of our animals. We had some pet rabbits and dogs and cats and stuff on the back porch. He rescued them, got them all out and everything. A little small house. Thing went to the ground real fast. Uh, we didn't have a phone then. And, you know, there was no 911. This was like 1957 or something like that. I'm 68 now. I was born in 54. So I was like three years old. So anyway, after that, my parents said, after I found out what a firefighter was, and we call them firemen then, I said, from that point, I'm going to be a fireman. When I grew up, I'm going to be a fireman. I'm going to be a fireman. And so that's what I said all of those years growing up. And Laura, wouldn't you know it, God's providence, that's all <laughs> I've ever been. I've been a fireman my whole <laughs> life. And I'm still one. I'm retired now. I'm a retired fireman yeah. now. So it's kind of cool, you know, it's, it's kind of neat to, to know what you were called to do because being a firefighter is, is a calling. It's not something that Somebody just says, you know, I want to be a firefighter, you know, and you go and you do it. No, you got to have something in here. Oh, yeah. Charlie will tell you about it. Just ask it's them. a lot of work it, it <laughs> to is. even get to that point. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So that's how I became a firefighter. And because of the times and because of being in the South, I really didn't think I could become a firefighter because of racism and prejudice and all the things that was going on. There was just no black firefighters. There was no firefighters that looked like me. They would come to my school and, you know, they're all white. And so I really didn't think I could be one, but I still had that burning in my heart to do it. And so I joined the Navy thinking that, well, you know, I, I can't be a firefighter. I'll just be a welder. And so I go in and I started going through the training of being a welder and everything. And it turns out that the welders in the Navy were also the firefighters. No way. <laughs> it is crazy. It's, it's really a neat way how it happened. You know, I started doing the fire training because in the Navy, everybody has to firefight, but they have special firefighters that put the fires out and are responsible for maintaining the equipment and everything like that. And so they saw mm -hmm. the leadership ability and saw the desire and wouldn't you know it, the Navy sent me to every firefighting school 
that they had. And boom, all the firefighter went aboard ship, 19 years old, in charge of 350 guys, <laughs> telling them what to do. Grew a mustache, and grew a goatee, you know, that looked like I was older, knew I was fresh out of boot camp, but I was wow. in charge because I ran the show. Yeah. It's yeah. been a great career. Really great. That's fantastic. Are there any other memories that stick out for you where the intervention from the other side has stuck with you? Sure. There's tons of them. I signed every book. I think I signed yours. You did. It says, with God, all things are possible. And that's the message of this book, that with God, all of these things are possible. Got all the testimonials of people writing things about me. Talks about how I got my name. That was incredible. I just told you about the fire that changed everything. You know, something I noticed upon writing the book is that I had all of these things happen to the left side of my body. Or if, I don't know where that comes from. You know, I got my thumb injured in the third grade, my left thumb, and then I was carving some wood at my grandparents' house, cut my left thumb again. I got the scars to prove it on here. Here's one right here, if you don't mind me talking about it. I don't want to talk too much about the book. Oh, but, no, this is fantastic. Okay. There's a story in here. It's on page seven. I hope I don't get emotional telling you this. <laughs> my daughters, Reva and Rosella, were going to grade school. They were eight years old and six years old. And so one particular day, one of my firefighters, I still don't know who he is. Hopefully, maybe he's watching the show right here and hearing the podcast or whatever, and he'll remember teaching this to my girls. But he goes to my girls' school and goes to their classroom and gives them a fire safety lecture. And I like to say it like this, on a whim, he taught these eight-year-olds how to do the Heimlich maneuver, you know, the back blows and the, you know, the chest thrust, and, and he taught them how to do it. The very next day, and this was the intervention of God. Yeah. The very next day, my wife picks them up from school. They have like a half day and they go to the park and they're going to have like a picnic and play on the stuff and just have fun and for the rest of the day, you know, a couple hours and then go on home. They're in Balboa Park here in San Diego. And so the two are out there playing on the swings. Reva's pushing Rosella. Reva's the eight-year-old. Rosella's six. And they're swinging on the swings high and jumping out, landing on their feet. Well, while they were doing this, Rosella had a piece of hard candy in her mouth. You probably hear it coming right now. Laura, you read the book. But anyway, she swings out and jumps out and lands on her feet. And this candy gets lodged in her airway. Mm. Well, Reva yells for mom, but mom is too far away. She's out by the car getting the the picnic stuff out of the car. And she doesn't even hear. So Reva jumps in and actions. That's why the name of that little story there is Reva's quick life-saving actions. Anyway, she jumps in actions. Mm. Gives her sister the three bag blows. Nothing comes out. And Rosella's, you know, giving a universal sign of, I'm choking. Help me. Yeah. And then she gets behind her sister, eight years old on a six-year-old and gives her the Heimlich maneuver, Laura, and pops the candy out of her mouth. Oh, my goodness. They pick it up and walk over and show it to mom. I'm so happy, God. I didn't get emotional (laughs) on that one. But it was great, you know. So, (laughs) Laura, how how are you going to make that up, you know? Wow. Number one. And, you know, it happened yesterday that she got the training. And then today she uses it like 24 hours (laughs) later. That's amazing. We call it synchronicity. And spirituality. Synchronicity. I've never heard that word. Yeah, wherever you would say that's ironic or coincidental, 
yeah. replace it with synchronistic, whereas it was meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> meant to be, exactly. I won't tell you their ages now, but they're in their thirties. So. <laughs> I mean, oh, isn't that an incredible story right there? Yeah. So just so many examples like that in your life that you're able to put in a book. I mean, how was the process of writing all those memories down, like revisiting all of those? What was that like? It was incredible in some ways. There were some stories that, you know, I wrote a lot of them and I said, you know, should I put this in? You know, because this is the Lord's book. It's not my book. And so do you want me to put this in there? No, don't put that in there. Put this one in there, you know, and I get it all lined all up. And, you know, now I'm at the end and I don't know how to end the book. So right before I went to sleep, I prayed to God. I said, God, I don't know how to end this book. Show me what to do. And so that night I had a dream, Laura, and I hate dreaming. All through the book, you hear me say, I hate dreaming. (laughs) My wife loves dreaming. It's the way that... You know, God communicates with us. You know, he shows us stuff, you know. I got that story in there about when I lost my football official's hat. That was amazing, by the way. (laughs) That was amazing. (laughs) So anyway, I fall asleep and then like I'm seeing myself at my computer and I'm typing out. And the Lord just tells me, take chapter nine and switch it with chapter 10. And then write about the ultimate Mm. resurrection because that whole chapter was about all of the people that I've seen raised from the dead, including my dad, including CPR. Great story in there that yeah. I did mouth to mouth on a little infant, the most beautiful baby that you've ever seen in your whole life. Gave him two quick puffs, started him back up, you know, and walked around on cloud nine for like two weeks, but then scared to death because the hospital called and said that the kid had meningitis. Mm. Oh. Very contagious. And I had done yeah. mouth to mouth on the thing, you know, and yeah. kissed my wife and kissed my kids, you know, and sure. I didn't know if I had it or not, you know, because it takes a while. But anyway, God protected me from that miraculously. And so uh it's exciting, you know, that's that's kind of was the process of just going back through my career. There was that one time that I drove around in different areas that I had been a firefighter at. Oh yeah, that happened right there. That would that would be a good one to go in the book. You know, make some quick notes about it, or maybe get on my iPhone yeah. and just talk to myself about that particular call. It was a long process. It took four years, really. One, yeah, to really get down to it and just buckle down and just write stuff. But that's how I did it. Was it therapeutic for you once you were able to get it down on paper? And was it hard to revisit some of these memories? It was. It was very therapeutic. But it was also very, very hard. Some of the things that didn't go into this particular book, I'm going to put in another book that I'm writing. In fact, I've already got it outlined. The, name, the title of the book is, spoiler alert, Laura, again, it's my worst 911 calls. Ooh. So visiting those things were, you have to pretty much relive them. And thank God, some of the things that I've gone through, you know, that your husband experiences as well, it's like a bell. You know, you ring the bell, you can't unring the bell. It's like pushing toothpaste mm-hmm. out of a tube. You can't put it back in, you know, and it's the words that you speak. You, know, you say them and you wish you could take them back, but you can't. That's the way those memories are that firefighters yeah. and police officers, the media calls us first responders. But there's a difference. There's firefighters and there's police officers, paramedics, EMTs. That's the kind of things that we all see. 
burn people, you know, the burn children. And it's amazing what human beings do to each other. And the firefighters are the ones that have to go and uh, fix those things. But it's unfortunate. They're memories that you can't get out of your mind. Yeah. Well, that brings me to another question then. How have you at this point now being retired and sort of on the other end of being an active fire captain, how have you learned to cope with a lot of the things that normal people just aren't (laughs) meant to see on a daily basis or may see once, maybe twice in their life? And I mean, it's every time you guys are at work. That's a great question. And you'll be able to help your husband with this one because I have my own therapist and she lives in the other room right there. With me. <laughs> you know, in fact, we're going to be married 40 years. Congratulations. September, September <laughs> Laura, I wish I had like two hours to spend with you on here. You know, I can tell you about how great <laughs> of a person Rainey's is and how much she means yeah. to me and our family. But what we used to do is, you know, we work a 24-hour shift. You're familiar with that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Leave home. I'll see you tomorrow morning, you know. Get a kiss and a hug and, you know, yep. and off to work, you know, and don't see them till tomorrow. Maybe talk to them once or twice a day. I used to call her niece at like 8.30. That's exactly yeah. how it goes. <laughs> but I would talk to her usually twice a shift. Yeah. I'd call her uh, at 8.30 if we weren't too busy right before she would go to bed and, you know, kiss her goodnight on the phone and everything. But the next morning, I'm, then I run all these calls. I'm up all night, you know, most of the time, 17s. You're familiar with 17s. Oh, yeah. It's the hub, busiest station in the world. And so when I would get off work, I'd get to this certain point. It was at Fairmont and El Cajon. And I'm heading home. And as soon as I get to Fairmont and El Cajon, that's where I'd call my therapist. She would always answer the phone because she's expecting the call. And then I would tell her about... I couldn't tell her everything, but I would tell her about the calls that we went on that day and that night. It just allowed me to get them out of my system. She'll hear this later and she'll know that valuable she was to me and how valuable she still is to me. But uh, that's how I would do it. But there were some days I wouldn't get to go home. I'd have to go to the fire academy and teach that day for 10 hours and then drive home. But while I'm driving to the fire academy, I would get all of that out of my system, and then, boom, I'm at the fire academy, and now I'm locked in on teaching these new firefighters how to be firefighters. And so that's how I dealt with it. But I did have some PTSD, as we all do. There were some calls that I just couldn't shake. One of the calls I'm thinking about right now, do you remember the Claremont Axe murder? Yeah. You're probably not old enough. Do you? It was 1983. Four, I think. Oh, do I? Well, I wasn't living here at the time, so maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. This guy murdered his wife. He was 68 and she was 72. And oh, they said that they fought all the time and everything like that. Jeez. But, uh, we went on that call and I was the engineer. And so I really didn't really get in and get hands on. You know, engineers are driver. To see this scene, it was the most horrible thing you've ever seen in your whole life, Laura. I mean, you've never seen it, but there was like brain matter all over the walls and blood. And mm-hmm. this guy had chopped his wife with this little axe and killed her. It was just incredible. And uh, thanks for letting me tell you this yeah. because I couldn't shake it. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I didn't want to eat. You know, it sure. just messed me up. And so normally we do a lot of 
pranks in the station, you know, and so they were trying to help me. They knew I was having a hard time with it, but so were they, but they weren't letting on. My captain and my partner, my two firefighters, you know, I was an engineer, there's four of us. They took my axe out of my axe belt, put it on my bed and put ketchup on it. Oh, no. Oh, this is supposed to make me laugh. It's like, that doesn't sound good. You know, they, they got a big knife out of the kitchen and put ketchup on that and laid it by my box. And it wasn't working, you know, and I just finally went to the captain. I said, hey, this ain't working. Something's wrong with me. I don't even want to sleep with my wife and stuff. You know, I, I just got, I can't sleep. I can't eat. I'm losing weight. This went on mm. for like two weeks. Sure. And finally, the captain called up my battalion chief and said, hey, something's wrong with Ralph. You know, we got to do something. You know, so the chief comes out and he talks to me. He goes, yeah, you need to talk to a shrink. Wait a minute. I'm a firefighter. I don't need no strength. So anyway, he takes me, gets me in the battalion chief's car, makes an appointment, takes me into this psychiatrist or psychologist, whatever he was, you know, over by fives by Cleveland Street over there. I don't even know if the building is still there. But anyway, he says, uh, go in there, talk to the guy, you know, and after he's done, you know, call dispatch and I'll come back and pick you up. This was before cell phones. Were. This is 1984. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's a long time ago. So anyway, I go in there. I sit in this big chair and the guy goes, hey, what happened to you? And I said, uh, man, I went on the worst call I've ever gone on in my life. He goes, tell me about it. So I tell him about it. And he goes, what, what are your symptoms? I go, well, I don't want to eat. I don't want to drink. You know, I, I'm just messed up. And all I can think about is that call. He goes, what about your other firefighters? Are they okay? I said, they seem to be. He goes, they're not. He goes, they're just like you. They, they're traumatized. This thing. And he says, all this stuff that's happening to you is normal. And so he says, you been on any other bad calls? And I said, yeah. So he said, tell me about them. So I started for my career in the Navy and just told him about every bad call that I could think of, which is what I'm going to put in the book that I'm going to write. They're already outlined. It's going to be a really good book, but it's not going to be for the faint at heart. You might want to read this before you let your kids read it, you know, kind of a spoiler alert right there. But anyway, I told him about every call I'd ever been on. He goes, you you know, any others? And I go, no, I think that's it. He goes, okay, good. You're good then. I go, I'm good. He goes, yeah, you're good. He goes, all that stuff is normal. He goes, you'll be fine after a few days. You'll be fine. He said, but what I want you to do is I want you to go back to the station and do the exact same thing that I've done to you with your captain and the other two firefighters. I want you guys to sit down and I want you to talk about it. And he says, every time that this comes up in your mind, he goes, I want you to talk about it. So, Laura, thank you for letting me talk about this right now, because my shrink, he says, Every time you think about it and you have a chance to share it, share it with other people so that they'll know if it happens to them. And so soon after that, I became the chaplain of the fire department. So anyway, I go back to the station. I call dispatch and 911 people. And the chief comes back, picks me up. And he goes, what happened, Ralph? So I tell him. He goes, that's great. And I started feeling better from that time on. And now all of the other bad calls I had thousands of bad calls since then. You know, that was 1984. I didn't retire until 2010. All of the calls that people told me about, thinking about one that I had at Station 10, and I wasn't even on the call. It was such a bad call that this lady got backed over by, it was like a delivery truck, like a UPS truck or a FedEx truck. Yeah. 
You ever heard the term de-glove? Yeah. Nursing too. I've learned about it. Oh, yeah. But anyway, her her body was over here and her skin was over here. It was I've like, only heard of a finger, <laughs> not a whole body. This was her whole entire body. She was skinned. Oh yeah, my she was God. Skinned. I wasn't even on the call. And I got called to go to Station 10 to give these guys some counseling and everything. And then turns out that the captain wanted to go home, the engineer wanted to go home, and the firefighter wanted to go home. But there was one firefighter that says, no, I don't want to go home. I want to just stay here. And the guy followed me around the rest of that. It just happened like 10 o'clock in the morning. The guy followed me around for the rest of that shift telling me about this call. I had to listen to him. You know, he's my firefighter and, and I'm the chaplain. And by the time the next day, I felt like I was on the call. <laughs> oh, no. You know, I'd heard this so many times. You know, like, but yeah. hopefully that guy is okay now. He's since retired from the yeah. fire department. Hope I didn't get too wordy right there oh, for gosh. you explaining those things. But no, no, man, I've been on some bad calls. And now yeah. my job is to talk to people, talk to firefighters and counsel them because I'm a true believer, Lord, that the things that we experience, the things that we go through, the things that the Lord allows us to see and go through, I believe that we don't go through them for ourselves. I believe that we go through them so that we can help somebody else with it and help them to get through what it is that they're going through. That's my story. and I'm sticking to it. 100%. I agree with that. I feel the same way. You do? Yeah. And similar process with you too. When I wrote my book, it was very therapeutic, revisiting all those memories. And it felt good that these experiences that were at the time difficult or, well, I I mean, not all my experiences that I shared were difficult, but the ones that were, it felt good to be able to put a spin on it to help other people who might've gone through something similar. So I agree with that. Good. And that comment that you made about the left side of your body. So I've taken this energy healing course. It's called Healing Touch. And I learned that it's the left side of the body that we connect to the other side with. Really? Yeah. So there's a certain type of healing that we can do where put your left hand over the person's part of the body that either there's pain or however you want to use it and use your right hand just off out into the universe. And what you do is you allow the energy that doesn't serve the person anymore to go through your left hand, out your right hand, back into the universe. And then after you've done that, you switch, you put your right hand over the client, your left hand is into the universe, heaven, whatever you want to call it. And then all that beautiful energy from the other side comes through your left hand and replaces wherever it needs to go on the client that you're doing the energy healing for. But it's the left hand that connects it. So the left side. Yeah. I've never heard that before. Amazing. So the left is significant spiritually. Yeah. Yeah. Where can I read about something like that? Is there a book? Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure there's something out there. (laughs) Maybe you should write that, Laura. (laughs) It wouldn't be very long. (laughs) It would just be that. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? It's pretty incredible, though. But Ralph, it's just been such a great discussion with you. And I want to thank you so much for sharing all that you have with us and for being vulnerable, but in a good way that's really empowering and inspiring when it comes to sharing these memories in a book, because it is scary, isn't it, to publish 
put yourself out there. It is. It really is. (laughs) It is. So I want to thank you for the courage that you have shown and I'm sure will continue to show. And wondering if you had any parting messages for the listener for the time that they hear this episode. You know, my studies for the last probably three years, my wife and I have found out about the kingdom of God. And it's something that's incredible. And Lord, for sure, there is another side. There is the other side. And for me, it's the kingdom of God. And everything comes from there. And one of the things that Jesus said And he said it over and over and over. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, last time I checked, all means all. And so in the context of the scriptures, he was saying, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Don't worry about this. In fact, he said, don't worry about anything. You know, don't worry. But just seek first the kingdom of God. And since we've taken that scripture and we began to seek the kingdom of God, we found out that it is totally true. And so I thought you were going to ask me the one about parting words for the younger Ralph Haynes. Oh, I'm going to do that too. You're going to do that too? I've decided I'm going to do both. But anyway, the kingdom of God is the most important thing. It's, It's the priority of God. And I'll just say it like this. When Jesus was here on the earth, and we know for a fact, we just celebrated the resurrection, Easter. It's celebrated around the world. It's been celebrated forever. And whether anyone believes that or not, it's true. Jesus walked and lived on the earth, but he did it in a manner to show us the exact example how he would have us live and what he would have us do. And that's what the book shows us. Lord, there's a story in the book where this lady has been bleeding. And there's a story in the Bible where this lady had an issue of blood. In fact, she had been bleeding for 12 years. So anyway, I'm up there at the altar. And I don't know if I laid my left hand on her or my right (laughs) hand on her, but she came up and she didn't even tell me why she came up to the altar at the church for prayer. She just said, Elder Haynes, could you pray for me? And I said, sure. And, you know, I'm supposed to ask, well, what do you want me to pray? But I just... You know, I laid both my hands on her head and I prayed for her and she went back to her seat. And by the time she got back to her seat, the Lord had healed her and she came back up and told the pastor of the church. She said, the Lord just healed me. Ralph Haynes just laid hands on me and I was healed. And he said, stand up and tell the whole church. And it turns out that the lady had been bleeding. She was hemorrhaging. So the Lord healed her like that. So what I would tell people is if you have never heard about the kingdom, I know you heard about Jesus, but Jesus didn't preach himself. Jesus didn't tell us about himself. He told us about the kingdom. And just take your Bible and go through and mark every time you see the word kingdom or just go on one of those Bible apps and just type in kingdom and just watch your screen light up with like probably 3,000 scriptures or whatever, you know, something gigantic like that. Yeah. And you'll see about the kingdom of God and how really important that is. And that's where everything comes from. Everything comes from the kingdom. But we get it by asking the Father to give it to us. And so that would be the parting advice that I would give is that people should begin to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Righteousness simply means to be aligned with God. It's not 
wearing a long dress or not wearing makeup or having your things that we were taught. You can't have mm. your toes out if you're a woman. You got to wear long sleeves and you yeah. know, a black suit on with a tie and a white shirt. You know, that's not righteousness. <laughs> righteousness is living in right standing with God. So Jesus said, finally, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Lord, we can just rest. We don't have to <laughs> fret and worry and college is going to get paid for, you know, yeah. and all of that stuff. That's what we've experienced during our seeking during these past three years. So I wish I had known that when I was six years old. <laughs> so you combine the two, the advice you'd give your past self to. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would give myself. But I would also take the Bible and just not put a butt after it. If the Bible says this, but no, just if the Bible says this, that's the advice that I would give myself. For instance, the Bible says in James that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. There's no but to that. The Bible says that James, who was the brother of Jesus Christ, he wrote that in the book of James. You know, it comes right off the Hebrews. And so that's the advice that I would give to the young Ralph Haynes. Ralph, again, I just want to thank you so much for sharing, again, your memories, your vulnerability, your truth, and for being such a wonderful guest on the show and for your time today. So thank you so much. Thank you. And that was another episode of A Guided Life Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, love and light always. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation, and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.